Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Your midweek edition of Rico Bronia. How's everybody doing? Evan Roberts, Pete Hoffman. Uh, the focus of today's Rico will be something we talked about a few months ago that we'd have fun doing, and that's taking a look at the two aces of the New York Mets, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, and basically comparing them and breaking them down and and figuring, okay, as they begin, Verlander begins his Met career, Scherzer starts year two with the Mets, where do they stand in baseball history? Who is the better all-time pitcher? So we'll do a deep dive on Max and Justin. We'll also talk about who should start on opening day, I put out a Twitter poll a few days ago. It garnered some interesting results and some interesting comments. So we'll examine Verlander versus Scherzer, obviously predating the Met days, and then also Verlander versus Scherzer in terms of opening day and what to expect in 2023. A couple of things to get to before we get to the topic at hand. Number one, Billy Epler decided to open up his mouth. Billy Epler decided... I'm going to talk to the media, and I'm going to talk about Darren Ruff. What's interesting about Darren Ruff, and I apologize to the audience, is I have attempted to make believe Darren Ruff doesn't exist this entire offseason. I don't think I've mentioned his name. I don't think I've ever talked about him whenever we've mentioned the DH spot because I've always assumed that they will get rid of his ass, that at some point Billy Epler will just cut him, that they'll just trade him and pick up a part of his contract like they did with James McCann. I just didn't think they would bring Darren Ruff back. And even though we're a few weeks away from spring training, and even though we'll examine what Billy had to say about Darren, I still sort of remain on that side. 
that I'm still skeptical that Darren Ruff is on the New York Mets come opening day 2023. But Billy Epler did an interview with Pat Regazzo of SI, and here's what he said. Darren Ruff has a long track record of hitting left-handed pitching. He hit left-handed pitching in 2022 and in 2021. Unless some things have materially changed, we would bet that skill still still exists in him. (laughs) So he's not wrong, right? I mean, as much as we don't like Darren Ruff for the time he spent with the Mets and as bad as he was, he did have a track record of hitting left-handed pitching. A part of why I didn't hate that trade at the time was because of that track record, because the numbers exist that Darren Ruff is a guy who can hit left-handed pitching. But sometimes when a guy struggles as much as he struggled with the Mets, you got to ask yourself something. Well, why did that happen? Is there a reason why that happened? Is this a guy that was hurt? Is this a guy that can't handle New York? Or did he just forget his skills, which is a tough one to believe. I mean, this isn't Space Jam here where the Monstars are taking his skills away. In the midst of a season, Darren Ruff lost it. Last year, or the previous year with the Giants, he was a really productive player against left-handed pitching. So you examine, okay, what the hell happened to him? Is it New York? Is it that he forgot his skills? And I wrestle with it, because I can't assume he can't play in New York. Can I assume that he had a couple of bad at-bats early, and that started to spiral, that it became like an avalanche of things? I don't know. It's tough to really figure what happened to him, but I fall along the lines of of most people listening, which is I don't want to find out. Like, I don't think that there are certain players you got to run back thinking, oh, but the resume is so good. So Jay Bruce was terrible after the Mets traded for him in 2016, but I saw enough of in his resume to say, I'd bring him back. I wouldn't give up on him. I wouldn't just assume the guy can't play here because the Mets have other options other guys that can fit that role as a right-handed DH, I would rather just sunk cost, move on, not play the game of trying to figure out what went wrong with him and give other guys a chance. I don't think he's good enough to just run back and say, well, we trust the track record. Let's see what we got. You have other options. Vientos is an option. Alvarez is an option. In a weird way, Eduardo Escobar is an option as a right-handed DH if it means better defense with Guillaume playing third base or Britt Beatty getting a chance to play lefties and righties. Like There are ways to find your right-handed DH besides just running it back with Darren Ruff. I assume you agree with me, Pete. (laughs) Well, listen, I mean, I feel like this is the... I want to prove to you that I'm right with picking up Darren Ruff to begin with, and I'm gonna re- I'm gonna double down my bet. I'm I'm smarter than everybody else, whether it's Epler or somebody else in the system saying that I'm smarter than you, and that's why we're gonna double down with him. Same thing with Vogelbach. I mean, th- they're doubling down with him again. And listen, if you want to run one of the two back, I guess Vogelbach's the guy. But why are we doing the same thing over again? It's called insanity to do the same thing over and over again. I don't think it's fair to put Vogel back in the same sentence as Darren Ruff. I I get that they were both trade acquisitions in 2022, but one guy could not hit. One guy could not hit, and the other one was still pretty productive 
against right-handed pitching. So the one thing I'd reject is I wouldn't put Vogel back and rough in the same sentence as a sunk cost. It's just not fair. That's 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 fine. I I get it, but again, it's just that that the whole thing of they're still trying to force feed us an idea. And you're right, Vogel back. That's fine. But rough, we've talk, I, I made a joke about this before the season ended or during the playoffs or whatever the case is. I'm like, this guy's going to be back on this team again. It's going to happen. And someone made a point. I think that Cohen will be able to find a way to eat three million dollars. And I'm like, well. It's it's bigger. It's different than Cohen. It's not a Cohen thing. It's a again yeah. trying to outsmart the system. Oh, it's not a Cohen. It's not a money thing. Look what they ate on James McCann. Like look what they did. They rid themselves of James McCann because they agreed with the idea of look, Omar Narvaez is a better option. We have Alvarez. We have Michael Perez, and obviously we have Tomas Nito. Let's just get rid of him. I honestly think, even though I disagree with it, and you'll disagree with it that a part of why they haven't done anything with Darren Ruff is they may not necessarily believe in the right-handed options that they have as much as we do. Like, we saw how much they couldn't stand Mark Vientos last year. Buck Showalter never wanted to play him. Uh, we saw how hesitant they were to call up some of their younger bats. So I don't think it's about money. I don't even think it's about ego. I think it's about they actually just disagree in terms of the options they have at right-handed DH. The one other thing Billy said about the DH spot was, how will it be utilized? And he said, there's a number of different ways we can utilize the DH on any given night. We can use it for workload management purposes and matchups. That's ultimately what we'll use spring training and the conversations with the coaching staff to figure out, which by the way, it should be used for everything. Like I, I don't love the idea of clogging the DH spot up, DH spot up with one guy. And I think the way the Mets are built, depending on if Beatty and Alvarez get an opportunity early on, that could be a fluctuating spot. I mean, you could see a lot of different guys getting time at DH, along with, hey, I want to give Jeff McNeil a day, but I want his bat in the lineup. Hey, I want to give Lindor a day, but keep his bat in the lineup. Hey, I want to give – I mean, we could go down the list. You could do it with almost everybody. Like, you can literally DH every single guy on this roster once a week in an effort to keep them fresh. Um, I still don't think – and call me out if I'm wrong on this – I do not believe Darren Ruff will be on the opening day roster in 2023. I think you're wrong. I think he'll be there. Okay. He's, he's gonna he's gonna be there because if that was the case, I mean, what, what are, are they waiting to see how how his spring training goes? Which we all know spring no, training is terrible. I think there's a lot of reasons why he's here. Number one is, hey, let's bring him to camp and see if he can hit. I mean, if he comes into spring training and it's 055 and picks up where he left off, then they may just ultimately cut him. Or let's say there's an injury in another camp. And all of a sudden, there's more of a market for a Darren Ruff than there is today. They can trade him right before opening day. That happens. Like, that, that's a thing that occurs. So I think there's a lot of reasons why you would actually bring him to spring training and have him not make the roster. You make me laugh about this market for Darren Ruff. There was no, there was no market for Darren Ruff. The only people that were stupid enough to trade for him were the Mets. And they traded four yeah, guys to get him, which is why it's like, oh, we have to try to force feed this. You don't know who's going to get hurt in spring training. I get you that. You just don't. Like, guys get traded sometimes right before opening day in roster crunch situations. And a team may see Ruff saying, oh, we can get him for free. We could really use that kind of player, and they take him. Look, we're going to find out. Right, we're going to find out in about two months who's right or wrong. I'm just telling you, I still have a gut feeling he's not on the roster. If he is, I, I take the L. I hope you're right. That's all I can say. The other thing from this week is the cryptic comment Buck Showalter made about Jake. 
in which he said DeGrom told him he thought he'd be back. He'd love him to tell him the whole story someday. You know, I read this and I saw a lot of reactions to this. As a big Jacob DeGrom guy, I just want to move on right now. Uh, At some point, I'd love to know the whole story, but I have a feeling the whole story is going to piss me off. And I don't want to be pissed off. I want to be optimistic going into opening day. So I saw it. I sort of rolled my eyes and said, I don't know what the truth is. You know, most Met fans just repeat what they're told, which is Jake didn't want to be here. He chose to leave. Like I saw a guy on Twitter tweet that, and it was a part of me wanting to like argue with him and say, you know, Texas offered a lot more, right, pal? Like, don't compare what Jeff McNeil said in his press conference to DeGrom. McNeil wasn't a free agent. Like, Jeff McNeil wasn't offered an eight-year deal by the Dodgers and said, but I love New York and stayed. So I don't want to get pissed off by my fellow Met fan, but when people say that, it just drives me nuts. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much it this week. I am looking forward to spring training. One podcast we'll do on the eve of pitchers and casuals reporting is the geekiest thing, but I love it. And that's breaking down the roster and looking at who will make the roster, who won't make the roster, their options when it comes to, well, who has options, who can't be sent down. Uh, what were the, some of the invites to spring training that they have? Who could battle to make this roster? How many spots are actually up for grabs? So we'll do that in a couple of weeks because believe it or not, we are a few weeks away from spring training. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ah. Let's get to the guys at hand, Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, two of the all-time great pitchers in Major League Baseball. MLB Network came out with something which pisses people off, or they celebrate it, and that's Brian Kenny uses a thing called the Shredder, which I thought was the bad guy from the Ninja Turtles, and pops out based on all those stats. Who's the best? Who's the fifth best? Who's the eighth best? And the Mets did well. Justin Verlander was the second best pitcher in baseball today. And Max Scherzer was the fourth best pitcher in baseball today. Before we get to opening day and the vote that we had and the history of starting on opening day, without ever looking at the numbers, without ever like really diving in deep to Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander's numbers. And I did this on purpose. I said to myself, okay, Evan, Who's better? Before you dive deep, before you analyze Cy Young votes and leading the league in categories and the stats that matter to you, who's better? And my reaction without ever looking it up was Max Scherzer. Was, yeah, Verlander's been around longer, but I feel like Max has dominated more. And maybe there was a bias of, we just watched him in the National League East for such a long time. We faced Max Scherzer. But that was my kind of on-the-surface thought before I looked at the numbers. And quite frankly, the numbers disagree with me. Like One thing I did is I said, okay, let's take the best seasons of Justin Verlander 
and the best seasons of Max Scherzer and just compare them. So let's start with a very traditional stat, ERA. I think most people accept ERA. This isn't like wins and losses, which we've thrown out. This isn't FIP. This isn't war, which I'll get to in fairness, because I do want to look at every avenue of this. But let's look at ERA. The best season Max Scherzer ever had in terms of lowest ERA, believe it or not, was this past season, which is sort of crazy to think about. A 37-year-old Max Scherzer, granted it was 145 innings, so it wasn't like the full load of 210 innings, but in 145 innings, which is a fair sample size, it's not 50 innings, it's not 80 innings, it's a buck 45. It doesn't qualify you for the ERA league, by the way. I think uh, the way they determine that is by games played. So, for example, to qualify for the league lead in ERA, you'd have to throw 162 innings. So Max was a little bit short of that. But the lowest ERA he's ever had in a season was 2.29, which was this season. The lowest ERA Justin Verlander ever had in a season was this season, 1.75. How about that, by the way? How about the fact that the lowest ERA, Max Scherzer, a surefire Hall of Famer, and Justin Verlander, a surefire Hall of Famer, ever had was this year. Verlander at 39, Scherzer at 37. 175 for Justin, 229 for Max. 175 is insane. And you can tell me all you want about, well, he was very lucky. The Astros had great defense. His strikeout numbers are down. Bottom line is, the guy went out had a full season, and pitched to a 175 ERA. There's only so much luck one can have. Second best ERA in Max Scherzer's career was not 2022. That was his best. But believe it or not, was 2021. (laughs) He's getting better with age. Uh, Second best ERA of his career, obviously split it between LA and Washington, was amazing with the Dodgers in the 11 starts. But if you combine it, 2.46. 2.46. Second best ERA in Justin Verlander's career. That was much further along ago. That was all the way back in 2011, 2.40. So, so far now, they're close. Don't get me wrong. The two best ERA seasons belong to Verlander, but it's very close. Third best ERA season. Max Scherzer back in 2017. Uh, he won the Cy Young that season, the third of his Cy Youngs. He finished with an ERA of 2.51. Justin Verlander's third best ERA was a year later, 2018, 2.52. Very, very close. Fourth best ERA for Max Scherzer. It was 2018. That was the year Jake won the Cy Young and Max finished second. So in a normal year, that's a Cy Young for Scherzer. That's his fourth. But remember, DeGrom was historic. 2.53. Verlander, 2019, 2.58. Basically, other than the 175 that Verlander had in 2022, their top four four ERA seasons are identical. Then I went to FIP, which is fielding independent, basically independent of the defense behind you. That's what FIP is. This is a fielding independent pitcher, whatever it's called. Uh, It's the same thing, man. Like, it's all just microscopically close. Max's best FIP year was 2019, 245. 
Verlander's best fifth year was this past year, 2022, 249, which makes sense. The guy just had a year 175. Uh, second best fit for Max was 262. For Verlander was 278, so a little bit higher. Third best for Max was 265. For Verlander, 28. Very, very close. So you can see, like, when you start to look close at this, you don't see much of a difference. Like the overall careers of both guys, Verlander's made 60 more starts than Max, got a little bit of a head start. Remember, he came up and was a rookie in 06. Scherzer came up in 08, but was not a full-time starter till 2009. So Verlander has a little bit of an edge on him in terms of making the 60 more starts, and he's thrown about 500 more innings. Verlander's career ERA is 3-2-4. Verlander's is 3-1-1. Very close, especially when you consider we can't ignore that Max faced a starting pitcher in a batting order for about six years. Verlander did not. We got to include that. There's a reason why up until last year, obviously things are different now. The ERAs in the National League are going to be a little bit lower, but almost an identical career ERA, 3-2-4 to 3-11, where Max hasn't beat is strikeouts per game. 10.7, 10.7, Verlander's at 9.1, and walks per game is basically a wash. But here's the thing about Verlander that jumped out at me a little bit. It's called, you know, the bold check. You go on baseball reference, and bold means you led the league in something. It means what you did was better than everybody else. And that's the fairest way sometimes to compare yourself is to say, are you better than everybody else? So what Scherzer has in bold, and I'm going to, I'm sorry, I got to throw out wins. I can't, I, I can't do it personally. I don't think it matters. I don't think it means anything. So wins don't matter. Innings pitch matter. ERA matters. Strikeout matters. Whip matters. Things like that. Max never led the league in ERA, which is sort of surprising. Never. Now, maybe a part of that is the National League. And being in a league with DeGrom for a couple of years and being in a league with Jake Arrieta, don't forget, Jake Arrieta had some insanely dominant years. Being in a league with Zach Krenke, and obviously I shouldn't bury the lead, being in a league with Clayton Kershaw. Like, your competition in terms of leading a league in something is pretty stiff. Max led the league in complete games three times. He led the league in innings pitched twice. He led the league in strikeouts three times. He led the league in whip a lot, five times, five times. Led the league in strikeouts per nine, three times. So the bold check for Scherzer is not bad. For Verlander, he's only led the league in ERA one time, one ERA king, and that was back in 2011, which was his MVP Cy Young season. He led the league in innings pitched, one, two, three, four times. Led the league in strikeouts five times. Led the league in whip four times. Led the league in ERA plus two times. It's close, man. It really is. Like It's all basically the same. They both have won three Cy Youngs. Here's where Verlander has a little bit of an edge. So they both have three Cy Youngs. They cancel each other out. Verlander has one two, three second-place finishes. Three. Which shows you uh, he was pretty close to winning a bunch more. Three second-place finishes in Cy Young, including one to, wasn't it to Rick Porcello? Yeah, that's BS. (laughs) 
And Kate Upton agrees with me, by the way. And he also has one third place finish. Max with the three Cy Youngs has one second place finish. That was to DeGrom in 2018 and the two third place finishes. So Scherzer's got six top three Cy Young votes and Verlander's got seven. Again, like it's it's tight, man. It's very, very tight. And Verlander has the MVP. He has that, which I, I don't know what that. I, I, I wouldn't go put that much stock in a pitcher winning an MVP as the end-all, be-all. But very, very close. Then I looked at a stat that I hate. But I looked at it because I got to be fair. Like, war is a thing. Guys are getting into the Hall of Fame because of war. Guys aren't getting in the Hall of Fame because of war. I have to look at how these guys were rated over the years. So I preface this in saying this is not the end-all be-all. But I was curious. Where and what does war think about each guy? And that's where Verlander has an edge. I have to admit. Uh, Like a significant edge. Verlander's top war season was back in 2011. And that was the year in which he won the MVP and the Cy Young. That was his MVP Cy Young year. His war that year was 8.6. Ver, uh, Scherzer's top war season was 7.9. Verlander's second best war season was 8.1. For Scherzer, 7.2. Verlander's third best war season, 7.4. Scherzer, 6.9. Fourth best. for Verlander, 6.5 for Scherzer. So significant. Like actually pretty damn significant. Then we have the thing that I'm going to put a lot of stock in. All right. Hall of Fame voters don't put that much stock in this. I don't think they do. I put a lot of stock in it. I bet you P puts a lot of stock in it. And I definitely think a lot of Med fans put a lot of stock in it because we're trying to predict the future with these two guys. Their postseason numbers. And both guys have pitched a lot. Now, Verlander has made 34 postseason starts. So he has basically pitched an entire season in the postseason. Scherzer's made 22 postseason starts, but he has five bullpen appearances. So Verlander only has one bullpen appearance. The numbers overall, they're very close. Listen to this. Postseason numbers. Verlander's thrown 207 innings, Scherzer a buck 33. So there is a difference in sample size. The ERAs, Verlander, 364. Scherzer, 358. I mean, flip a goddamn coin on that. Like, that's the same. Now, where Verlander takes a lot of heat, a lot of heat is his World Series numbers. And there's no denying that. Like, that's not something we should kind of shy away from. Justin Verlander is statistically one of the worst World Series pitchers in the history of the game. I mean that, and I'm not trying to necessarily be a dick with that. Like, that's just true. Justin Verlander has made nine World Series starts, which is a huge number. You know, Whitey Ford can say that, but Verlander, because when you think about it, he's got the two World Series with Detroit. 2006, he made a pair of starts in the World Series. The World Series we should have been in, by the way. We should have been kicking his ass in 2006. He made one World Series start in 2012. They got smoked that year. And then you've got 17 with the Astros, 19 with the Astros. Um, 
He didn't pitch in 21. That's out. But 22 with the Astros. So he's made nine World Series starts. And I'm just going to give you the numbers because they're freaking awful. One in six with a 5.63 ERA. Which is just, I mean, I, there's, there's no way to explain that. Honestly, other than he wear da- he wears down at the end of the year. That would be my theory because he's an innings eater. Like, look at Verlander's career. This year, maybe not as much, but he was coming off Tommy John surgery. The guy throws a stupid amount of innings. And with the extra layers of the postseason, and he hasn't been a bad postseason pitcher, so you can't say it's the pressure that gets to him. I think the only theory I'd have, Hoff, on why Verlander sucks in the World Series is the guy runs out of gas. I, I think that's a a fair answer, right? I mean, I, that's the one thing you'd have to guess. I mean, he really has pitched so many different, so many innings. It's ridiculous, and you could see how do, the ALDS and and the ALCS. He's been dominant. Like, I mean, you look yeah. at those numbers; it's ridiculous. So, I don't. It's not the. It can't be the pressure. I, I can't. No. I can't do that and because look, there's also there's too many examples. <clears throat> of him coming up huge in a postseason spot. Yankee fans, if you're tuning in right now, you're like, yeah, game six, 2017, the Yankees are a win away from the World Series. Verlander went seven scoreless innings in a game they they had to have. Um, Game two of that ALCS, nine innings, one run, 13 strikeouts. Um, That's, uh, What? Like, that's crazy. I remember this game because a buddy of mine's a big Tiger fan, who I asked about this whole topic because obviously both guys pitch for the Tigers. He's from Detroit. It's not crazy. It's not like he randomly picked the Tigers. He's a Michigan kid. Um, I watched with him game five, Oakland-Detroit Divisional Series in 2013. Tigers ended up winning that series. They lost to the Red Sox in the ALCS. And he pitched a game five against Oakland. Eight scoreless innings with 10 strikeouts. And I remember we were sitting there that night, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy <laughs> this guy came to pitch. So there's such a long track record of examples where he pitched really, really well that I can't just look at the World Series and say, oh, yeah, he sucks because of the pressure. He pitched okay in game five against the Phillies in his last World Series start. He walked a lot of guys, but he was able to battle through and ended up pitching five innings, allowed only one run, which ultimately is okay. So I would just think it's a wearing, kind of wearing yourself out, running out of gas thing. Because I can't say with those postseason numbers, he's a bad postseason pitcher. That's He's not bad. He just hasn't elevated his game. And one thing we can't ignore about this is that when you're in the playoffs, you're facing better teams. So if you put up the same career numbers in the regular season as you do in the postseason, to me, that's awesome. That's That means you did something really well because you're facing better competition. Now, Verlander and Scherzer's numbers in the playoffs are not as good as their regular season numbers. I'm not saying they are, but you are facing – I mean, look at the teams he was facing. Look how many times he had to face the New York Yankees. And his numbers against the Yankees are just stupid. No doubt about that. So – as a postseason pitcher, you know, what is Justin Verlander? There's been a lot of good. There's been a lot of bad. A lot of good. A lot of bad. But World Series, not very good. Max Scherzer, I, I got to tell you, I think Max Scherzer sort of the same thing. Like, I could sit here all day and give you examples where he's come up in a big spot 
But then there are examples in which he didn't. Obviously, we just experienced it in which he gave up seven runs in four and two-thirds innings against the San Diego Padres. We also saw Max being unable to pitch in the NLCS in 2021 for the Dodgers. I think that's a part of his resume. We've also seen him get knocked out in the fourth and fifth inning. We've also seen him come out of the bullpen and blow a game like he did in game five of the NLDS against the Cubs back in 2017. Like he has a mixed bag of success and failures. There are examples where he's clutch. There are examples in which he's come up real small. He's made three World Series starts. He has a win, no losses, 3.86 ERA. And overall has a 3.58 ERA in the postseason. So I do think that even the playoffs, they come up very, very similar in terms of it being a real mixed bag of failures and success. Well, if you did this the year er, a year earlier and took out that wild card series, it would have been a lot better for sure. So that's for sure. You know that, that I mean that 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 was a bad taste. Verlander didn't have the best you know playoffs last year either, but they won the World Series, and that's the big difference. That's ultimately all that matters. But Scherzer got booed off the mound, which is by, by far the most disgraceful thing that could happen in in sports. As an ace of the staff or quote unquote ace of the staff to be booed off. In your first year, you came in here with a purpose. That's got to change. That whole thing's got to change. Yeah, and look, in fairness to Max, if you go through his postseason starts, there's really only one other start that he made that could match this in terms of it being an implosion. And it was actually his first year in the playoffs. He started game six of the ALCS against Texas and got destroyed. Got absolutely lit up. Gave up six runs in two and a third innings. Um... It was a disaster. You know, I mean, it was, you know, <laughs> there's no defending it, but he has a lot of other postseason starts in which he's either been good to solid and then somewhere he's been great. And a lot of examples, though I'm not sure we'll see this with him at his age anymore, of coming out of the bullpen. A lot of examples of Max pitching out of the bullpen. But would you agree that in comparing them head to head, the playoff resumes are essentially a wash. Or would you give Scherzer a slight edge? No, nah, I think it's a wash. I mean, again, I, I I think again, like I said, like up until up until this year, I would have said given the Scherzer the edge. But again, Verlander now with the with the ring, that aspect of it, I, I guess it's a wash. I think that they're both first ballot Hall of Famers. Obviously, their resumes can change a little bit with their time here with the Mets. I would give a slight edge after just jumping through the numbers and looking at postseason game logs and looking at Cy Young votes and innings pitched and strikeouts and just everything. I'd give Verlander a slight edge. Like if you're asking me after all of this, who's the better pitcher? And it could change. Their careers aren't over. Obviously, we're going to be biased with what these guys do here. Verlander wins a World Series MVP. We'll all say he's better. Scherzer wins a World Series MVP. We'll all say he's better. But I would give Verlander the slight edge. But I do think we are looking at two of the great pitchers of our generation. Well, I will say this much. I think that Verlander gets the edge overall. But if you take away the first, like, five seasons of Scherzer, and I know that just, you know, picking arbitrary numbers and stuff like that, Scherzer's been the better pitcher. In recent years, if you look at those numbers, I think recently from the pet, like once Scherzer took over as a starter in Detroit and really took a role, he has been the more dom. I I think even though the numbers are close, has been the more dominant of the two pitchers. 
Well, you're right from the standpoint of Scherzer had his struggles early on. Obviously, he was traded. We remember that. The Yankees were involved in that trade, the big three-way deal from Arizona. Um, He didn't become a dominant pitcher until 2013. Justin Verlander was in the midst of his career by this point. He had already won a Cy Young. He had already won an MVP. He would already had a bunch of top three finishes. Now, Verlander also wasn't perfect early in his career either. Like, when he won Rookie of the Year in 2006, he had a 3.6 ERA. He had a 4.80 ERA in 2008. Actually led the league in losses, if you care about that stuff. Verlander's real dominant breakthrough was probably 2010 and then over the top 2011 when he won the signing on the MVP. Uh, but you're right in terms of Scherzer didn't become a big-time guy till 2013. Verlander's had some down years. Like, in 2014... At 31 years old, he sucked. Like he had a four and a half ERA, and then he was hurt in 2015. And Verlander has credited that with what really changed his career, that he realized how important it was to take care of himself. That that struggle that he had in the midst of his career really led to him kind of being the guy who could still be around at 40 years old. It's very, very close, by the way. Very, very close. And I do think that our opinions on both guys will be altered greatly based on what they do for us. Max's first year with the Mets was a fine regular season. He missed a lot of time, but it didn't bother us because the Mets won 101 games. It's not like him missing regular season time was detrimental to the team. It wasn't. I mean, you want to nitpick, well, if they win one extra game, they win the bit. Listen, the guy was great when he pitched. The problem was, in the two most important starts, he sucked. That's what Max is going to have to battle. And and what's funny about that is the exact opposite could happen this year. What I mean by that is, I'll use Verlander as an example. What if he pitches to like a 380 RA? He goes out, he makes his starts. He's average. He's mediocre, right? And we're like, what the the F is this? We're paying this guy $40-plus million. Guy won the Cy Young last year. He has a 4 ERA, right? Now the playoffs come around, and he dominates. (laughs) We'll take that. Like, his legacy to us will be, that guy was amazing. It's like the, the Garrett Cole effect. It's, it's what you do in October for us that's going to define how we view you. Well, that was the whole DeGrom thing. And, and I, I don't want to, like, put cold water on the whole topic of bringing back the bad memories of DeGrom. But the reality is, is he was hurt for the majority of the season. I said it didn't make a difference what he did. If he's available for October, that's where we need him and Scherzer the most. And DeGrom pitched fine in the playoffs. And that's what we need out of both Scherzer and Verlander. The regular season's good. Listen, the regular season is going to be a very similar thing that happened last year. I don't know if a hundred plus wins is in the few, in the forefront, but ninety wins at least, and we're going to get to the playoffs. And it's going to come down to the big three, in my opinion, because Cody saying is going to be involved in that. That that's also assuming, and look, we're all positive enough to think, hey, this is a playoff team. But that's also assuming that. It's just a stress-free, they're going to make the playoffs kind of season. Like, you still have to secure a playoff spot. If Verlander or Scherzer misses time or is average, and they're battling for a playoff spot, it's viewed differently. The Mets were never battling for a playoff spot in 2022. It was simply battling for the division, which we wanted, but not for a playoff spot. As far as opening day is concerned, um, I put a poll out about four or five days ago asking Met fans, who do you want to have start opening day? Very innocent question. 
I also acknowledge it doesn't matter that much. It's a symbolic thing who starts opening day. Last year, the Mets won 101 games. The opening day starter was Tyler McGill. So I trust me, I understand what all of that means, but it's still a fun thing. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's a symbolic thing. You look at the history of this franchise, the all-time record holder for opening day starts is it's not even a surprise, is Tom Seaver. He made eleven opening day starts. Eleven. Now here are the guys who made multiple opening day starts. Doc Gooden made eight, which is a huge number as well. By the way, Seaver one at eleven, Doc number two at eight, not a surprise. I think we all would have gotten that. There are two gentlemen tied for third who made four opening day starts. That's the third place tally. Can you name those two guys? Oliver Perez. No, just kidding. Yeah, Oliver Perez. <laughs> uh, oof. I want to say David Cohn. David Cohn did not. David Cohn made one opening day start. So he's yeah. made one, but only one. Um, Steve Traskel. Steve Traxel never made an opening day start. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm lost. I don't know. You ready for this? <laughs> I mean, cause one of them is going to make you cringe. Tommy Glavin made four uh. opening day starts. And if memory serves correct, I would say it was 03, 04, not 05 because of Pedro. So then I would say 06 and 07. I think with the four that he made. Johan Santana made four opening day starts. After that, the guys with three, Al Leiter, Bobby Jones, Jacob DeGrom. Jacob actually ended up making three opening day starts. The guys with multiple opening day starts, Craig Swan, Little Al Jackson, Roger Craig, Noah Syndergaard. How about that? And then all all the other guys that made one, Tyler McGill, Bartolo Colon, Matt Harvey, Dylan G, Jonathan Neese, Mike Pelfrey, Pedro Martinez, Mike Hampton, Pete Harnish, David Cohn, Bobby Ojeda, Mike Torres, Pat Zachary, Jerry Kuzman, Fat Jack Fisher, and Don Cardwell. So there's your list of uh, opening day guys. So Verlander or Scherzer or Senga or Quintana, anybody would make the first. We're adding somebody to the list of a guy making their first opening day start. So I put the poll out there, about 10,000 votes, and it was overwhelming. Uh, Max Scherzer secured the vote with 69% of the vote. couple of the thoughts I got. Matt Grasso said, it's Scherzer. Scherzer has seniority. (laughs) I love you, Brutus. Max Scherzer, it's his rotation now. Max should start. Chris Scherzer, he's in year two. Verlander, even though he's the reigning Cy Young Award winner, is only in year one. So you got a lot of that, a lot of, hey, this guy's been here for two years. Uh, Jeff Betts had a good good answer. How about neither? Let's load management these guys till July. (laughs) You'll never make it a full season with this staff. Look at Max at the end of last season. While you may be right about being careful and load management and however you want to phrase it, yeah, I don't think it makes sense to wait till July. Would you not want to put Kode Senga out there? Like, get the new toy out of the way? Uh, that would be a great way to break the tie. 
Like, ah, we're just going to give it to Kodai, who's probably <laughs> started a bunch of opening day starts himself. Uh, David Oreshki says, it sure is, or it shouldn't even be a question. Well, I mean, David is with the majority because 69% said Max Scherzer. So obviously people think it's a dumb question. Um, Mr. Met says Jace, Justin Verlander only because then it would be Cy Young versus Cy Young. Oh, because he's thinking of Sandy Alcantara, who the Mets are facing on opening day. Um, Mosh says Verlander because it adds to the opening day hype. PMAC Many Sports says they'll both be hurt out of spring training. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> but most people, like I'm going through, most people say Max based on the fact he's been here for an extra year, which I don't know, man. That doesn't really mean anything to me. Like, yeah, he's been here for a year, but do we really have that emotional attachment to say it's got to be him? I mean, the only thing you could say is like he's – it's almost like the symbolism of Pedro Martinez, right? Pedro Martinez kind of – put the Mets back on the map and then other people started coming over, whether it was Carlos Beltran and then making the trade for Ledoux. You know, so so in that sense, if you want to say Max Scherzer chose the Mets and now all these other players have now fallen in line with him, if you want to consider him the leader because of that, but I look at the other way. Verlander, we've just went back and forth who's the better one. I, I still toss up. But Verlander just won the Cy Young. He's the best pitcher of baseball at the moment. You give him the nod. He- yeah, it, it depends how you want to answer it. If it's about this seniority thing, obviously Max is here. Uh, you could also punish him for seniority and say, hey, dude, you no-showed the playoff game and the game against Atlanta. Go F yourself. We'll start your buddy Verlander. But Verlander's coming off a better year. I, I don't think anybody would argue that. The guy won the American League Cy Young. The guy had a one seven five ERA. But hey, Met fans, hey, guys who think it has to be Max Scherzer, do you want to win opening day? Because what if I told you this? What have I told you that in the last eight opening day starts, Justin Verlander has made because he's made 12 opening day starts in his career. Obviously a lot of them with Detroit, a handful of them with Houston, but 12, which is higher than Tom Seaver. Think about that. Max Scherzer has started, or Justin Verlander has started more opening days than Tom Seaver did with the Mets. Now, obviously, Seaver then was with Cincinnati. I'd have to add up his opening day starts there. Bottom line is he's made 12. In his last eight starts on opening day, Justin Verlander is 5-0 and with a 1.79 ERA. What up? How about that? Championship. How about that? Opening day fits right in with the Mets. 2020, six innings, two runs, a win. 2019, seven innings, one run, a win. 2018, six scoreless, a win. 2017, six and a third, two runs, a win. Not bad. That's my man, Justin Verlander. Uh, Overall, by the way, because he has made four other opening day starts earlier in his career that were awful, including giving up eight runs and three innings to the Blue Jays back in 2009. If you want to be fair and add all of his opening day starts up, uh, Verlander is five and one with a 3-4-3 ERA. So not quite as appealing as the 5-0 with a 1-7-9. As far as Scherzer's concerned, and he's made a few of these against us, by the way. He's made two opening day starts against the New York Mets. The Mets won both games. That's a true story right there. Uh, He's 1-3, but he does have a good ERA, 2.72. He started opening day in 2021, his last one with Washington, six innings, four runs, no decision. 
He started the weird opening day against the Yankees in 2020. Five and a third innings, four runs, got the loss. Started opening day against DeGrom in 2019. Pitched really well. Pitched into the eighth, only allowed two runs. That's when he gave up the home run to Cano in the first inning. And we all thought, oh, Robbie Cano's back, baby. Uh, so the opening day numbers, they, they're, they're fine. <laughs> it is what it is. I want to win. Way, I want to win. That for means- Verland. Yeah. My votes for Verlander for opening day. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And especially after that, like I want to win. And if Verlander's gonna have the does it make a difference of the numbers? At the end of the at the end of the day, you want the W, which means Verlander will give you that. If, if you said the five at all the past few starts, I'm down for that. Yeah, my my reasoning for Verlander is twofold. Number one, I'm rewarding him for having a better year last year. He had a better year than Max Scherzer. Um I, I you know, I think that's part of the the beauty of opening day is that you want to put your ace out there. And Justin Verlander had a better season, a full season that went deep into October, obviously, and got capped off with another world championship. So I give Verlander the thank you, even though it wasn't for my team, the reward for the season he had. And the number two, F Max Scherzer. The guy sucked for us in his, the two starts we needed him. Like, I'm not rewarding him for seniority. And while I admit he had a really good regular season that we were happy with, despite missing the time he missed, like, I, I, I'm i not rewarding him for being here for an extra year. He also has an opt-out at the end of the year. The guy could be gone at the end of the season. Let's not grow too attached to Max Scherzer. He's here for a short period of time, and then he's probably getting paid elsewhere. If you were to tell me that, let's say, it was Jacob DeGrom still on the team. It's a different story. You're going to give Jacob DeGrom the start every single time. Of but course. Ju- right now, Justin Verlander is the new toy. Like, that's what he is. He's the shot. He's the shot. He's the big ticket item that we just brought in. It makes no sense to, like, save him for, like, an extra day. That's the guy that the fans are, are, were craving for as soon as we heard that DeGrom was gone. We got to bring in Verlander. That's who you got to bring in. Show it to the people. That's what the people want. Look, if Jake was here, this would not be a discussion. Put it that way. I wouldn't have even bothered with a podcast on it because it's like, of course, what are you talking about? Of course, it's going to be Jacob DeGrom. But it is a little different when you're talking about two guys that we don't have an emotional tie to. Now, one thing to keep in mind, the Mets opened the season in Miami against the Marlins, so they will face Sandy Alcantara, assuming he's healthy. They play four games against Miami, and they play three games against Milwaukee. And there's no off day. Like, it is straight up game, game, game. I apologize. Uh, No, no, I'm right. Game, 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 game with Miami. And then game, game, game. So you really can't mess around with, oh, we have extra days. Let's skip this guy. We don't need a fifth starter. But opening day's on the road. So if Verlander starts game one, Scherzer starts game two, Senga starts game three, um, now we're up to game four. And it's uh, Carlos Carrasco. Game five is Quintana. Game six is back to the top of the rotation with Verlander. Game seven is Scherzer. That leads you to game eight, which is the home opener. Which means, and remember, they're in Miami, they're in Milwaukee, there's no rainouts. So you don't have to worry about, well, there could be a rainout. Those games are all being played. That means whoever the third starter is for the New York Mets will start the home opener which in a lot of ways maybe matters more to us. It's at City Field. It's when the crowd's back in the building. So assuming Kodai Senga is the third starter, 
That would mean, Mr. Hoffman, that you're going to get your wish. Kode Senga is, is going to start the home opener for the New York Metropolitans. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I want to see. Big press situation because that place will be packed. It's going to be swarmed. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. I want to see Senga starting at, at City Field for the home opener. Now that's assuming Senga's the third guy. It could always be Carlos Carrasco. Or... He- there could be some kind of nagging injury that pushes somebody back a couple of days. And then we get Tyler McGill. <laughs> yeah, think about it. Last year, after all that, DeGrom gets hurt. Scherzer <laughs> gets hurt. We don't want to screw around with days too much. Here's Tyler McGill. And we ended up okay. The season ends up going okay during the regular season. Either that or they're going to start Brooks Raleigh as the uh, opener. <laughs> my man. Brooks Raleigh, my man. All right. It is official. Our rewatch game, the game that we, uh, or you elected, everybody out there elected for us to rewatch and then analyze as a podcast will be game seven of the 1986 World Series. So on the podcast that will come out on late Super Sunday, the Monday after the Super Bowl, that will be the podcast. So we're giving you a week and a half, two weeks almost to watch this game. If you can't watch it in that time, not a big deal. The podcast will be sitting there waiting for you for wherever you're done. So there's no rush. But it will be game seven of the 1986 World Series. I'll tweet the game out a little bit. It's on YouTube. We can connect it on the podcast. So when you download and you see the description of whatever we're talking about, maybe for a couple of episodes, we'll include the link so you can click on it. But we'll do that on the Sunday, Monday, because you usually we post these things late Sunday night. We're late Wednesday night. Those are the twice a week we've been doing during the offseason, unless we throw a bonus in there, breaking news. So figure that'll be for the podcast uh, during Super Bowl weekend. So with no football coming up this weekend, plenty of time to watch it. Game seven of the 86 World Series. Coming up on the Rico this weekend, the one that we'll post this Sunday night and a Monday, we talk all about not just the expectations for the Mets in 2023, but a history of expectations where Mets expectations have been for the last 30 years going into a season. Some of it will surprise you. You sort of forget what expectations are once the season occurs. So we'll focus on that coming up this weekend on Rico Brown. You can obviously email the podcast anytime you want. TheRicoB at gmail.com. TheRicoB at gmail.com. And obviously you can tweet at us whenever you want. We're a few weeks away from spring training. Let's freaking go can listen to Pete with Tiki and Tierney, me and Craig, 2 o'clock on the fan. We appreciate you listening and downloading Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 